and welcome back to Jake's World, episode 35 of Jake's World, presented by The Nuance Magazine. I'm your host, Jake Sawinski. Today is September 22nd, 2020. It's a Tuesday. Schedule's been really weird for me. Some days I do the pod on Monday, some days I do it on Tuesday, some days I do it on Wednesday kind of like the once a week thing just because right now there's so much to not talk about right and I feel like I'm just you know hammering the sports and doing one real life thing a week I mean I'm trying to get back we get acclimated to doing the two shows a week again we'll see see how I'm feeling see where it goes from there but I digress, I guess. But anyways, huge sports show once again, just because the last show I did was last Tuesday or Wednesday. There's a lot of things to talk about, you know, NFL and NBA, especially Stanley Cup Finals started. Then I got two other tidbits to add at the end of the show. So let's hop right in. Starting with NFL week two takeaways. First and foremost, the Falcons are really, really, really bad. Normally, I don't care about the Dallas Cowboys whatsoever, just because I feel like they've got the whole America's team stigma thing going on. I call it a stigma because, I mean, the Cowboys are about as irrelevant as a franchise you can have. Numbers-wise, but are still relevant in the media just because I think a lot of that in the last few years is just because there are so many media personalities that are way into the Dallas Cowboys. Like um, Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith are probably the two biggest sports media personalities out there. Skip is a huge Cowboys fan and just, you know, kind of buying into that rivalry. Stephen A. has developed a huge hatred for, I don't want maybe not even hatred, but I mean, it's kind of a shtick he does, you know, where's the Cowboy hat, the big cigar walking in onto the set whenever they play really bad. How about them Cowboys? You know, Skip loves them. Tony Romo's in the media, Troy Aikman's in media. I mean, they're more, they're play-by-play guys. They do color, they do commentating in the games itself. They're not on talk shows, but I don't know. It just seems like there's this thing where, you know, the Cowboys were really good in the 90s, the early 90s with Troy Aikman, and I don't know. It's just, it seems like the media hasn't, there's always a focus on them, despite them being extremely average all the time, below average to average. Um, was it three, four years ago? They went on a playoff run. Well, I wouldn't even say a playoff run. They lost to Green Bay. It seems like they always lose to Green Bay in their playoff runs. But I was tuned in because I drafted Dak Prescott as my quarterback for my fantasy league. And I had a bad week. I wouldn't even say bad week. It wasn't good, though. I mean, my flex guy got hurt. I picked up Greg Olson, who didn't. I don't even think he had a target all game. So I had to sit white play Olson because everybody else was locked. 
White was healthy going into the Sunday night game against Seattle. Plays for the Patriots. And uh, he was scratched. And I was driving home. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? And I couldn't take too much time to really look into why he was hurt or who to pick up. Because, I mean, it was 6.30 when I got the notification. And everybody else played, so it was a matter of picking up somebody real quick. And I figured Olsen had a few targets and a touchdown last week. It's going to be a lot of points. Russell Wilson airs the ball out all the time. They have a running game, too, but it seems like Seattle just... Their offense is always motoring. So I figured somebody on the Seahawks would be a safe bet. Probably could have went with anybody in that game, but I picked the one guy who didn't do shit. Turns out James White's father and mother were in a car accident, and his father passed away. So I was kind of angry about it, and I felt a little bad afterwards because it's like I thought he was hurt because, I mean, half of the Patriots players always have an injury designation going into the game. And I'm like, really, the one time, like, he's actually out because something's nagging at him. So, I mean, that was kind of, felt kind of bad for feeling that way. But whatever. Anyway, so I was going, talking about the Cowboys. Dak carried my team. And like I said, normally I wouldn't have any interest in them whatsoever. But they look great in the second half. And then talking about the onside kick. Greg Zerline is one of the best kickers in the league. He kicks this. Some onside kicks are strange just because every kicker goes about it a little different. And it's hard to do. You have to kick it 10 yards without kicking it out of bounds and without somebody else just grabbing the ball. Because it has to go 10 yards for in order for the kicking team to touch it. And then the, the, the receiving team can just touch it whenever. So it's a lot of timing. And getting the kick right. Like Mason Crosby. I watch the Packers. I'm a Packers fan. He. When. Onside kicks were a little more prevalent. Back in the day it seems like. Just because. They. Uh, I don't I don't know when. Maybe that was a rule change with special teams. Like you know moving the ball up. As opposed to. Um, having it at the. I think it was at the 30. Like it used to be. 30 or 25, I don't remember off the top of my head, but they moved it up 5 or 10 yards. And a touchback is just so much more common now because, I mean, they're trying to take away the high-impact hits, and special teams is the most, for your health, the most dangerous team area of the game. You have guys on one end of the field running full sprint to tackle the receiver, the guy receiving it at the other end zone. Naturally... You're going to have your higher impact hits there. They took that out of the game, and it seems like onside kicks aren't working as much. Maybe because teams smother it up better. I don't know. But Crosby would stand the ball up and kick it end over end. It would spin really fast. He kicks he'd kick the top of the ball, and it spins end over end, and then it takes one big bounce. And it would go you know, 10, 12 yards, and then guy on the kicking team would run, win the race and catch it. Zerline kicked it. He laid the ball on its side, laces up, 
or laces. I'm not sure, but I'm just trying to describe it the best I can. I don't remember what way laces were facing, but like that, not standing up on a tee on the ground. And he kicked it side to side, so it would spin. And this kick was perfect, right? It was so perfect. Like, it would have gone probably 10 yards and stopped in bounds. But it was slow to get to that 10 yards, and then the guy in the Falcons was just staring at it. Like, dude, go grab the ball. You're going to get hit. You got to go grab the ball. And it was just bizarre watching that because, like, I played football in high school. In high school, not super high level, but kickoff was in the game. And that was the one thing you were always taught. If you're receiving an onside kick, you don't try to return. At least we were coached not to return it. You just fall on the ball. Then everyone else by him, hop on top of him. That way the the kicking team can't just pry it out of there real quick, right? And he's just staring at it. Like, dude, just jump on the ball. You jump on the ball, you win the game. And I don't know. It was just kind of a weird... Series of series of events, and Dak Prescott looked really good in the second half. I mean, I think he was the first quarterback ever to throw 400-plus yards and have three rushing touchdowns. So that was a huge fantasy day for me, except nobody else came to play. So he had like a third of my points. And then Gizeki, Gizeki I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, he had like a 20, he had like a 30 spot on my bench. I didn't play him. Figured Dolphins wouldn't do much with the Bills, and I was wrong. <sighs> lost some money gambling on it. We took spreads, Chiefs in cover, and the Bills in cover. So, I mean, at least it wasn't the one game that you thought would be a mortal lock didn't hit. But Green Bay looks really fucking good still. I mean, I think they've got the most points scored through two games in the league. I think they have 85. Almost 250 burgers. That's pretty crazy. I mean, the Lions are terrible, but... They made the Vikings look really bad. And then the Vikings, I, I was on Twitter a little bit over the weekend. Like the Vikings fans were complaining about, oh, Bakhtiari, the best left guard or left tackle in the league. Well, he was holding all game. The refs gave Green Bay that game. And then they go and lay an egg to, against fucking Indianapolis. So the Vikings suck. Lions suck. Um, who else really sucks? The Falcons, like I said, they suck, even though they score a shit ton of points. Matt Ryan is. Very turnover prone. He doesn't even throw a ton of picks. He just likes to fucking fumble the ball all the time. So Dak Prescott does too. But he'll throw your his fair share of picks. Atlanta just doesn't have a defense. They've got a loaded offense. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, um, Todd Gurley. They'll put up points, but their defense stinks. It was kind of like the stigma with the Chiefs for the first seven, six, seven weeks last season. Uh, one of the worst defenses in the league turned out to actually be toward the top half of the league in terms of team defense. And then they won the Super Bowl. But who else is really, really bad? The Dolphins, of course, even though they played a pretty good game against a good Bills team. The Chargers played really close with the Chiefs. Um, they went to overtime. Justin Herbert looked really good. Anthony Lynn was slamming. Herbert's play in well I wouldn't say slam he said some good it was a kind of a backhanded compliment I guess he was like yeah we're going with Tyrod Taylor Tyrod Taylor I'm not sure how you say his name everyone says it different Taylor was scratched before the game he I think he went 
some injection went bad. I don't know if it was like a cortisone shot or whatever. He had to be scratched in the game. Herbert threw 300 yards, a couple of touchdowns, a really bad pick at the end of the game. And Lynn was like, um, yeah, he's a rookie quarterback. He did a lot of good things, but there are a lot of bad things he did too. And it's like, even if you don't go with him the next week, it's like, why stick up for your guy? doesn't matter who it is. You stick up for your player. Or if you're going to criticize him, do it in a way where it's not like, huh? That made no sense. And Tyrod Taylor's a guy that's not going to win you any games. I've seen this take kind of all over the place, so this isn't my own thought here. But a lot of guys were like, a lot of sports person or sports show, people on sports shows were like, he's not going to lose you any games, but he's not going to win you games either. And that's like a perfectly good take because, I mean, he was a quarterback for the Bills for a few years there. He didn't really do much. And then he kind of had the keys until he got hurt when Baker Mayfield was drafted. And then a year after, Baker Mayfield was the starter from there on out. It's like he's not going to play terrible, but he's not going to, you know, do an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or a Pat Mahomes and march your team down the field with two minutes left. He's not going to win you that big game when you need him to. Um... Seahawks ended up beating New England. Cam Newton's really fucking good. He looks fantastic. Um, end of the game kind of caught my eye with third and one. Wilson, you know, you need one yard to get, and then you throw a deep ball, and you let New England have a chance at winning the game outright. It's like, dude, just get one yard. They're out of timeouts. You win that game. But they ended up winning. Didn't hurt them. I'm trying to think who else is really bad. The Giants, oh God. I'll, I'll get to them in a little bit. Ravens looked really good. The Texans aren't going to... I'm just trying to go around the league here and there. Um, I don't remember the Titans ended up winning or losing, but they did not play well against Jacksonville, and Jacksonville's awful. Denver, ooh, shit show. Mm, I think those are all the ones that really stood out to me. Oh, the Cardinals, 2-0. They look really good so far. Had a bad take in our group chat. I, did, I wasn't sold on the Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins thing. And like I mentioned in previous shows, um, I do the fantasy football write-ups or power rankings. So, yeah, I think I'm going to have to print that one out and eat it. Eat my column because that was a bad take. And I always stand by my bad takes. but Or I will admit when I'm wrong on a bad take. So, if it turns out I was right after all, I'll just print it up and make Casey eat it. So Injuries, injuries, injuries. What a sad week to be a superstar in the NFL. Countless guys are out due to injuries. Saquon Barkley, torn ACL. Um, Joey Bosa? I think it's Joey. It's either Nick or Joey. I think it's Joey. Torres ACL for a 49ers defensive end. Out for the season. Um, shit, there, Garoppolo got hurt. Um, there, McCaffrey high ankle sprain out four to six weeks. Just terrible week to be a, a skill guy. Or anybody for that matter. A lot of injuries this week. Really tough. Fantasy football owners probably not in a great spot right now so whatever but week two was fun 
super fun. Uh, I like the parity in the league right now, especially because you're seeing teams from the last three, four seasons that were really bad, stunk it up big time. They look good. The Raiders, the Raiders look really good. Playing in Vegas, they're undefeated in Vegas ever since the switch. Derek Carr looked pretty good, and we were talking in our group chat last night. It's like, is Derek Carr bad or is Derek Carr good? And we couldn't really decide. We came to the consensus that he'll play well in some moments, but then when you really need him to play well, he won't show up. But Josh Jacobs, that uh, their running back, is phenomenal. And he gets the ball a lot. He gets 30 touches a game. Look out for the Raiders. I mean, it's going to be tough for them playing in the same division as the Chargers. But, I mean, if they keep playing the way they are, they could be a wild card team. I mean, you'd have to imagine that the Ravens win the AFC North. Um, you'd have to imagine the New England wins the NFC or the AFC. No, I'm sorry. The Ravens are in the East. You have to imagine that the Patriots. That's a toss up. That could be the Bills or the Patriots, depending on how it goes on the stretch. Because Bills are really good. They, they, either one of those teams can win the North. Um, the Chiefs are going to win the West. And who's in the South? Uh, it be the Texans, the Colts, the Jags, and the Titans. I imagine that the Titans or the Texans are going to win that division. The Texans look really good, but hey, I mean, a couple of years ago, they started 0-3 and pretty much ran the table. Why is the dog barking like that? He barks at everything. I can't wait. Whatever. Okay, he's done now. But, I mean, the Raiders could be a playoff team. Very potentially, they could be a wild card team. I mean, the road in the playoffs won't be easy for them because they're not going to have a favorable matchup. But those are my pick. I mean, I, I imagine that the Bills and the Texans could be play, or the Bills and the Raiders could be playoff teams. And then... In the West or in the NFC side, you got Green Bay winning the North. That's not going to be close. Um, uh, the East, that's a toss up. <sighs> Jesus, that division's a shit show. Eagles are terrible. Um, I I I have to go with Dallas. I mean, I think Dallas has the most potential to win it. I mean, the Redskins, uh, Washington football team might be they keep playing the way they've been playing they'll be eight and eight like usual i mean i see the cowboys winning that but that's always a division where a team with a losing record actually wins it outright um in the west i imagine it's going to be i like seattle over san fran right now just because i mean you've lost two huge pieces to injury i didn't see how long garoppolo's out for but they're banged up. The Cardinals might make a run at it too. So that one's kind of a toss-up too. And then in the South, you got to like the Saints. I mean, Atlanta doesn't have the defense. The Panthers, they're not they're not a good team. And uh, who's the other team in that division? It's the Saints, the Falcons, oh, the Buccaneers. I don't know. I, I mentioned this already. I don't think the Patriots are – or I, I – so used to saying Patriots. I don't think the Buccaneers are there yet, even if you have Brady and Gronk. 
probably a wild card team, but I, I don't know. I just don't think they have all the pieces they need to be super successful. And that's it with the NFL talk. Transitioning to the NBA. Um, awards were announced. Regular season awards. Giannis, to no one's real surprise, won MVP, right? Um, Jamal Murray, no, I'm sorry. John Morant won Rookie of the Year. No surprise there. All NBA teams were announced. I mean, I that and that's so weird with the All NBA teams because it's like, I mean, you do. There's 15 picks for All NBA and the All and there's like 40 guys who are All NBA caliber every year. That's so hard to pick. But it was crazy to me that Bradley Beal is the first player ever to average 30 points a game and not make it to an All NBA selection. But it's so crazy because he's not a top five shooting guard in the league. Are the guys who played? Oh, Harden's obviously first team. I think Butler was second team. And it's slipping my mind on who was um, third team. But either way, it's like there's so many guys at the two guard position that play so well guards in general guard plays really tough to gauge just because they're so versatile like Westbrook Harden when they're healthy Curry Thompson um Kyrie Irving um Bradley Beal John Wall Damian Lillard CJ McCollum Devin Booker I think that was the other all NBA selection Booker Luka Doncic. Um, The the NBA is so deep. It's hard to give out awards like that. And Giannis won Defensive Player of the Year as well. I think he's the first person since... I think Michael Jordan was the only other player to win MVP and DPOY in the same year. And he did that in 87-88. But I think he was the third player overall to ever win both of the awards the other person being Hakeem Olajuwon but the focus of this is not on those awards it's the MVP award specifically because after the game or after their game LeBron James was asked about it because I mean it was released that LeBron only had 16 first place votes and he went on he basically said all that that pissed me off a little bit you know, the yada, yada, yada. I, I try not to give him too much attention because he irks me so much. He's the pettiest fucking athlete I've ever seen in my entire goddamn life. He is so fucking petty. Like, congratulations, Giannis. You're a fantastic player. You deserved it. That would be nice. I mean... Like, everybody is so buddy-buddy now. You think the first instinct would to be, like, too nice. Yeah, he's such a nice guy. He deserves it so much. And then, like, I could see if it motivates you. Because, I mean, we saw the Last Dance documentary almost almost six, six months ago, almost now. Michael Jordan got pissed when Charles Barkley won MVP. And when... Um, Carl Malone won MVP in those title runs. Everybody knew Jordan wasn't happy for the guy, but the thing is, Michael Jordan wasn't propped up to be this 
player's guy and unselfish player. That wasn't him. He didn't give off that persona or create that narrative. Oh, I'm a nice guy. No, Mike was an asshole. But everybody knew that. And he was honest about that. And LeBron gets a pass because he's such a he's an unselfish player. Oh, he's such a good passer and he makes all of his teammates better. And it's like, well, yeah, but then he makes comments like that. That just doesn't sit right with me. Like, I don't care that he said, oh, that pissed me off. They should piss you off, especially because you're 34, 35 years old and you're aging like fine wine. You're getting better as you get older. I mean, he's definitely not um, as much of an inside player as he was 15 years ago, but that's normal. I mean, he was 18 when he came into the league. Of course, his style of play is going to be a little bit different. He doesn't play both ends of the court like he used to, or if he ever did, but nobody does, and he should get a pass for that. But I don't know. That just really irritated me when he was like, he didn't say congratulate. Like He could have said, it pissed me off, but I need to hand, I need to hand it to Giannis. And maybe he did. Maybe I didn't listen to the whole video. Maybe I am taking this out of context and saying he said something that he did not or saying he didn't say something that he did. Maybe that's my fault. But from what I saw, it's like, dude, you are so fucking petty. And then you can even take that another layer and be like, yeah, you're the best player in the league. Everybody knows that. But based on this year, you might not have even been the best player on your team. I mean, and then everyone, and you could take that statement and be like, you're crazy. Of course he is. Yeah, of course he is. But they don't give out the MVP award based on the best player every year. If that were the case, Bill Russell would have had five MVPs. Wilt Chamberlain would have had eight MVPs. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would have had 15 MVPs. Michael Jordan would have had 12 MVPs. And LeBron James would have won MVP ever since. That's not how it works. It's based on the most valuable to your team that season. And you could argue that Anthony Davis is that for the Lakers. He plays both ends of the floor all the time, it seems like. He doesn't pass as well, but that position he plays being, you know, a stretch. He plays four. He's technically a power forward. But he's been kind of playing. Well, no, he hasn't even been playing that center position. Because they have Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. He's a stretch four. He's not supposed to pass the ball. He rebounds and he, he scores. And, I mean, he's averaging in the high 20s. You could make a legitimate argument that LeBron was not even the most valuable to his team that year. Because, essentially, it's it's pretty much the same roster they had last year. I mean, they shipped off some guys and they added Rondo. And I don't think Dwight Howard was there last year. They made some key movements. You get rid of Ingram and Lonzo Ball. But for the most part, that's pretty much the same team. I mean, minus two or three players, that might make a big difference. But I, I'm just trying to say, you can make a legitimate argument that he wasn't even the most valuable on his team, yet alone the entire league. And I was talking to about, I was talking about it to a guy I work with. He's super into basketball. Like he coaches youth and, you know, he's really into basketball especially and he's like I don't know why they don't why do they call it MVP award because and it's like this in every sport it kind of gets confused 
with what MVP means, most valuable player. Is it most valuable to their team? Is it most valuable that season? Is it most valuable overall? Like You can kind of dissect it and attack that, just the wording of it, in several different ways, just like I described. And he's like, they should just call it the best story. Not even change the name of the award. Just say most valuable player is handed out to what the voters believe to be the best story of the entire season. There's trouble with that because that's so subject. It's too subjective. Like, what's the best story? That's why they have comeback player of the year. But analyze. Think about it for a minute. Look at the past MVPs and how that award was given out. 16-17, I think it was. Or maybe I'm off a year. 16-17. No, that's right. Russell Westbrook wins MVP. Oh, you can even go a year, for, two years further. Steph Curry completely changes the way the guard position is played in the NBA. First unanimous MVP ever. He wins the MVP award. He can shoot from 40 feet at a clip that's higher than how far he can shoot from. It's absurd. Russell Westbrook, the next season, 16-17. Oh, and they win 73 games. Yes, they lose in the finals, but that's a different story for a different day. Russell Westbrook averages a triple-double for a season for the first time since Oscar Robertson did it in the mid-60s. Oh, but they're all plumbers. It doesn't matter. Um, Russell Westbrook, if you watch the game that he plays in, or the games he played in, they're not efficient triple-doubles. It's blatant stat padding. His inefficiency went down all across the board from shooting, I mean, percentage-wise, from the just you know regular field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage, and free throw percentage all went down. Rebounds and assists go up. He always passed the ball pretty well. He had a 20-20-20 game. Wins MVP. That was, you knew that was going to happen. The next year he does it again and he doesn't win MVP. James Harden does. He went on an unparalleled scoring tear. That last guy to do that was Michael Jordan. I think he went like 30 games in a row scoring 30 or more points. He had, I think, a 50-point triple. He might have had a 60-point triple-double. If he didn't, he was very close. He scored 60, I believe, once for sure, maybe twice. And he scored 50 like four or five times in a game. Unparalleled scoring, I think he averaged like, fuck, 36, 37 a game. I don't remember off the top of my head, but unparalleled scoring. Then the next, the last year, Giannis Antetokounmpo emerges as probably the best big in the game. When I say big, I mean four or five. I mean, Anthony Davis is up there, but Giannis is clearly the best big man in the league that season with what he does with the Bucks, playing the intensity he brings on each side of the floor. And um, I kind of lost my train of thought. He, he was a clear pick for that season. LeBron didn't even play the entire season. So, I mean, he was pretty much discounted um yeah it was clear 
And even this year, it was clear because I feel like it was such a continuation of what was happening last year. Giannis is improving drastically. And you saw flashes flashes of it at the end of last season and kind of into this season. He's starting to shoot a little better. Not from the free throw line. He's a horrible free throw shooter, and I don't understand how. If you're a professional athlete in a center or a big, you should be able to shoot free throw. If you can shoot a three-pointer, don't you think you'd be able to shoot a free throw? Unless it's just nerves. I don't know. But you, he's improving. It, the improvement for him from last year into this year, and the year before last year even, it's just he's constantly getting better. And he's so clearly the best player on that team. And without him, they'd be lost. And I think that is where the you know most valuable to his team comes in, isn't it, with this year. It's like they'd be hopeless without him. And even without LeBron, with the roster they have this year, they'd be okay. I guess that's kind of my summation of that, my take on that. It's like, maybe make it best story. I don't know, but whatever. I, I just, LeBron's so fucking petty. And, like, I respect all the shit he does off the court. You know, he's he advocate for, you know, black Americans. He does all kinds of charitable work. He's got that school, you know, pays tuition for you know, impoverished and underprivileged kids in Ohio. That's great. I'm not trying to knock that. It's just like, he's a real prick. But the thing that makes me, on the court, the thing that makes me mad about it is, is he pretends not to be. He tries to create this narrative where he's always the good guy. And then, the, the you know, the popular thing is to compare it to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was all those negative things too, but he didn't pretend not to be that. And that's what makes me mad about it. So, all right quick little tidbit here. Friday was the late, great James Gandolfini's birthday. If you don't know who James Gandolfini is, please purchase HBO Max and binge watch all 68, 70 hours of Sopranos because James Gandolfini was born to play Tony Soprano. It's my favorite television show ever and damn it, I fucking miss that guy. He was great. born to play Tony. He was born to be that guy. And you see that with actors too. It's like there's some things that you just can't imagine somebody else playing that role. Like I always find it funny when, you know, they have casting things and uh you know, some of the Hollywood big guys turn down I shouldn't say big guys, big girls too. I'm phrasing Jake. The stud actors and actresses like to turn down parts that they don't think are going to work. And it's always really funny to see people like, I don't want to play that. That look, that part looks stupid. And then it's like the biggest mistake of their career. You see that sometimes. And then on the other side of it, you can't imagine anybody else playing that role. Tony Soprano was that guy. James Gandolfini was born to play him. And... I want to get into like a recurring Soprano segment on this show where like maybe I'll watch two episodes a week and we can recap them. That'd be really cool. But happy birthday from the grave. I miss you, James, Jimmy, Gandolfini. You're the goat. And I'm going to wrap up today's show with a little bit of current event talk and 
you don't want to hear it, go ahead, you can skip this, skip to the end, whatever. But Friday, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a long time Supreme Court justice, she was a trailblazer for, you know, women representation in federal government, especially in law, you know, huge role model, served the bench very honorably, I mean, what, 50 years, 40, 50 years, it was a long time, she passed away, she, I think she was fighting cancer, she's 87, and of course, with everything in 2020, it's about politics, and what came up is the nomination of a new Supreme Court justice in an election year, which makes any resistance to this really makes no sense. But it's precedent that you attempt to fill that vacant seat whenever a justice passed. So it's passed either steps down or passes away because most of the time you hold that position for life. I was doing some reading on this yesterday and I think it was like 20 something times that this seat has been filled in an election year or attempted to be filled. Maybe it was not an election year, but there were a handful of instances where this has been tried. Now, every nomination is political. It doesn't matter what side initiates it and, you know, is it morally right or wrong to handle it. It's what the big piece of paper we have called the Constitution says you do. You fill that seat as soon as necessary. Probably possible. But I don't know why this is an issue with, oh, it's an election year. Why should he fill that seat until the election or before the election? Just because it's an election year does not mean he does not have a constitutional duty to appoint someone and have the Senate vote on it. You are elected to four-year terms, not three. If he loses the election, newsflash, I don't think he's going to, but if he loses the election, he is still president until January 21st of 2021. That is how it always has worked, and that's how it will always work. Just because you're not coming back doesn't mean you don't have an obligation to do your job. You can't just quit. I mean, I'm sure you could, but like, what's the point? It's three, two months. Oh, but in 2016, when a justice stepped down, the Republican-controlled Senate refused to appoint this person to the chair, well, or to the bench. That's where the politics comes in. And the moral of my story, or the, the moral of my, the, my point here, is it's not a question of morality. It's politics. That's all it is, is politics. And it could the shoe could be on the other foot. And, you know, it could be a, a left-leaning president in office right now. And he could, he or she could appoint someone, and if the same house controlled it, the the Senate, because the Senate is the one who appoints Supreme Court justices, they would do the same thing. And of course, the other side would be complaining about it. But like, why wouldn't you? 
why would the minority party in Senate want to have the majority party nominate someone? Like, that makes no sense. Oh, yeah, I mean, the Constitution calls for it. That's what you do. Why would they do that? That wouldn't help them. Of course they're going to outcry. It's not a question of morality. And, I mean, if this offends you, I'm sorry, but he's not doing anything wrong. If the Democrats controlled Senate... He might not even bother because he could appoint Jesus of Nazareth and they wouldn't accept him. It, it's, it's politics. And unfortunate the timing may be, but that's just the way it is. I mean, it did seem a little insensitive to announce that you're going to pick something, pick someone three hours later. I get that. I mean, you could have waited the weekend. And, I mean, her dying wish was do not fill this seat. Well... No, they have no obligations to honor your wishes. I'm sorry, that's harsh, but it's true. I'm not trying to persuade you anyway. I'm just saying if you're upset about it, it's you really have no merit to be. And if you don't like that, well, I'm sorry. But that's just the fact of the matter. So it's a little longer show today. Kind of felt prepared to talk about it. NFL talk went a little long, but that's all right. But... That concludes today's show. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at JakeSawinski8, J-A-K-E-S-A-W-I-N-S-K-I-8. Check out Nuance Magazine once again. Got their digital, digital newsletter, digital magazine, whatever, in my mailbox today. You can check that out. You should, too. Like I said... They're all about culture, lifestyle, a lot to do with music, up-and-coming artists. They love it, super passionate about it. They do a fantastic job. Give them a look, please, for me and for you. So have a good week, guys, and talk to you next